Um, there was a page, however, an entire page, and uh, my friend Kevin is where he signed it, but all he did was write every single lyric to Welcome to the Jungle from Guns N' Roses. So if I had to rank the best, gosh, that was a great song. I mean, that's the one. And like, I was looking through it going, gosh, that was a great song. You know? I mean, I'm immediately on YouTube like, if you got the money, we got the disease. What a line, you know? What a line. So, uh, but the most common sign-off of every, you know, signing in your yearbook was, at least back then, see you next year, next school year, you know? Anybody remember that? And for us, that was mostly literal, unless you lived in the same neighborhood, were in the same church youth group, or worked at Cinnabon together at the mall. You would not see these people for three months, back when summer was 12 weeks, you know? Uh, You would not see or hear from these people again until you got back to school, which was always fun, because you're like, well, look who got muscles, you know, or like... (laughs) Look at that hair, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe that's just me. But here's the thing about the yearbook that I do find interesting and somewhat existential. With all its pictures and personal notes and captured memories, the yearbook functions, then as well as now, it functions as a kind of presence within an absence. It's what a photo album is. You know, we just celebrated our 27th wedding anniversary on Friday. And, uh, yeah, went to Outback. It's great. I couldn't get her to watch Tommy Boy because that's what we did on our honeymoon. That was a new film back then, you know. David Spade was like 29. But um, maybe we'll watch it tonight. It's a honeymoon weekend, you know. Um, But yeah, you know, we look through our wedding album, yearbooks. These are all basically, you know, these these kinds of presence within an absence of the people in your life. And when we're separated from people that we love by either distance or perhaps even death, we look for things uh, to be the presence in place of their absence, like a note. You know, maybe you've kept a note. Or just like a thing. I have my grandmother's record cabinet in our condo. And like, you know, it's a thing that belonged to a person in my life. I do often wonder what she played on it. Like, did she buy Zeppelin too? Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Mom, you would know. I mean, was, I feel like it was probably like bluegrass and like some cheesy Christian like... Uh, up with people kind of thing. Yeah, that just went over everybody's head. So. Um, but like a thing that you keep that reminds you of a person, uh, even like a smell, you know, a certain candle or a song that you remember. When there's a real absence, a real empty space in our lives, we keep things around and in view to help us remember and sometimes even to give us some hope And I think it's that sentiment that we can carry into today's story that Addie read for us. Uh, The setting of this conversation between Jesus and his disciples 
the setting is one of impending absence. This story takes place before the death of Jesus. And he is telling his disciples that that's coming. And also, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you behind. And you can feel that there's a real sense of anxiety among the disciples, for sure. I mean, in verse 1 of the chapter, Jesus begins by telling them, do not let your hearts be, does anybody know? Troubled. That's how he begins this section. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And further down in verses 18 and 19, he says, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, he says, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. Now it's beautiful, but the disciples are kind of like, huh? They don't really understand what he's talking about entirely. So Judas, not Iscariot, John, make sure we know that, uh, in verse 22 says, said to him, Lord, how? How will you reveal yourself to us? Can you give us something? Like what is happening in this thing that you're telling us about? And it's from there that our story picks up. And what Jesus does next is he promises his disciples two things. And as listeners and readers of this story, we can take these in as well. He promises them these two things. And they're both kind of mysterious, and they're hard to pin down. And the first thing he promises them is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, the, some translations say the advocate. It's great. It's, you know, Trinity Sunday is coming in several weeks, so we'll take some time to reflect more on uh, what the Holy Spirit is about, who the Holy Spirit is a bit more. But the word itself is a very powerful indication of what we're dealing with when we at least explore this topic. Uh, The Greek here means helper, an advocate, someone who is alongside each of us in some way. And whatever the Holy Spirit is, and Jesus doesn't really lay that out at this part of the story. It's some kind of abiding presence that helps us, that advocates for us, that reminds us that God is with us and for us and behind us and alongside us. And so whatever the Spirit does and is, we know that it's about some kind of presence, an encouraging presence in us. And so as a pastor, I would say to you, if you have these spiritual crises where you feel that, uh, you know, the spirit is telling you that God is angry with you and that he hates you and that he hates those people and stuff, this is not the voice of the spirit. The voice of the spirit is one of peace, comfort, of an advocate for you. Amen? So it's very important to remember that. Jesus is not saying... Hey, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave behind this kind of yenta, overbearing, uh, passive-aggressive, judgmental presence over your life, just so you don't get out of line. It just simply says, I'm going to give you a helper, and you will be guided and comforted by this. He then offers them peace. He says, I leave you peace. He says in verse 27, peace I leave with you. 
But then he says, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives, however. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says again, and do not let them be afraid. Now, In the world in which Jesus is saying these things, peace was often the product of violence. Peace was brought by intimidation, by suppression, oppression, the sword, judgment, and overbearing. Peace came at the cost of unrest. And so Jesus offers this kind of different pathway to peace. One that doesn't involve power or status, but is kind of this subversive roundabout sort of peace. A peace that's experienced somehow within the unrest of the world. Within the troubles that we go through each and every Day. This is the kind of peace he offers. Um, it's a great promise, but how does it work? This is the thing. This is the big question. That's great, Jesus. How does that work? You know, I follow Ringo Starr on um, Instagram. Uh, he's a beetle, by the way, for those of you. <laughs> what am I going to do with you people? Uh, and his famous catchphrase is peace and love. He just says this every time. You know, it's almost like, okay. What does that mean? What does it mean to have this kind of peace? Does it work? How does it even work? Our world is very much in search of peace. Right now and really throughout history, but it's so amplified now with so much information at our fingertips, I mean, the wars and the conflicts that we are watching unfold all the time, Uh, the mental health crisis that we see in our country rising, especially among young people, teenagers, persistent, like persistent racism, it just keeps resurfacing, and white supremacy, it just keeps coming back alive. And those of us who pray for peace and rest, we see these things and they are confusing. The divides between us politically have truly reached a point of, I don't know what's happening anymore. I don't know what will happen. Our language now is only aggression. Um, I don't know if it's because my TV listens to me But every night when we're watching TV, it's always cancer commercials and political ads, you know? Both are depressing, you know? But I was listening closely, and the political ads are very interesting because the language is all violence-oriented. Everything is a fight. Everything is a war. Everything is about taking back. Everything is about a mob. And I'm not, it's like the more we keep saying these things, we give life to these things. And it's kind of scary. And yet there's a vast majority of us in our country and in our world that would rather see something different. This peace Jesus talks about leaving behind is uh, unique, and it's mysterious. But what Jesus does not leave behind is a leader 
or a politician or a military strategy. And this might be the secret to understanding what he has talked, understand what he is talking about. But what he leaves behind is a community of peace, a people of peace. It's not just individual. This is spoken to people. The early followers of Jesus were a peaceable community, a peaceable community where all, all of these things that create tension and that create violence and that create divides, they can fade in the background when this community is together and where the people of God were anima- animated by things like service to those in need and love and good deeds and healing and prayer and making room for everyone at the table of Christ. So when Jesus says, peace I leave with you, it's a powerful statement. But you can also read this as him saying, peace I leave with you so that you may be the reminder to one another and to the world around you that I am here that I am present. I'm not participating in the kind of things that the world is doing to exert itself and to assert itself, but I am coming through a different way, a way of peace. And his presence in the world is through his peacemaking people. Jesus said these words, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. It's in our benediction that we'll say at the end of the service, send us now into the world in peace. It's the sending statement of the church to enter the world in peace, not in a posture of anger or judgment or competition or arrogance, which is really just fear disguised as confidence, but as carriers of peace. This is how we experience the presence of Christ amidst his absence from our world. That's it. It's through the peaceable community of God's people. Amen? In this room and in rooms all over the world, the call of Christ on every church is to be carriers of peace in a world so bent on unrest and violence and destruction that we may be some kind of abiding presence amidst all of that. Show me dawns that rise with me and show my heart.